Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey into history, we're going to talk about streetcars and interurbans. That's right, electric propelled rail cars that once were a common form of transportation all over Michigan, as well as many other cities in the United States. So come along and join me. Now, the subject of streetcars and interurbans is a fascinating history. The streetcar, very much like a smaller type of trolley car, if you can envision that, and you probably have seen this in certain cities around the country. If you've ever traveled to New Orleans or San Francisco, you might have taken a ride in one of those, and there are a few in existence in other cities around the country. The streetcars were typically within the city limits, and they had a electric power cable that was run above them, and they ran with this bar that attached to the rail car, and that's how they were driven with power. The interurbans were a larger cousin of the electric streetcar, and the term interurban comes from the Latin interurbis, which means between cities. The interurban fit a continuum between urban street railways and full-fledged railroads. So they were kind of the halfway between point in a term of transportation between a streetcar and an actual rail car on the railroad. So visualize in your head trolley cars of different sizes. The smaller of that size is typically the streetcars that you're most accustomed to seeing. And a little bit larger size of that would have been an interurban. And of course, larger than that would be a railroad car. Now, the precursor to a streetcar, which is driven by electricity, was a system of transportation that started in the late 1800s, and there were rails built throughout the city, very much like you would see with a railroad, but instead of being powered by electricity, they were pulled by horses. So the very first streetcar systems were horse-drawn rail cars throughout town. And Battle Creek had a system of that that was established in the city around 1883. And it only lasted about a decade before a electric railway or streetcar system replaced it. And they also expanded upon it. So the streetcar and interurban era in Battle Creek lasted between 1883 and 1932. Over in Kalamazoo, the streetcar service ran between 1893 and 1932. So they were a little bit later in getting started, but their streetcar system phased out the same year as Battle Creek did. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of both of these cities, Kalamazoo and Battle Creek, in regards to some of the streetcar service I'll begin by sharing information from a book called Tales of Battle Creek, written by Bernice Bryant Lowe. And she has a couple of pages written about streetcars and interurbans that provide a lot of interesting content and information about that era in the city of Battle Creek. And she begins with, in both national and local histories, there are words and phrases that pop up with new meetings and then fade out again with hardly a trace in anyone's memory car barn is such a term. It belongs only in the era of streetcars and interurbans, encompassed in Battle Creek by the years 1883 to 1932, less than a half a century. Inasmuch as the first streetcars were pulled by horses, 
there had to be a place to keep both cars and horses. What more appropriately termed than a car barn? After horses were replaced by electronically powered motors, the cars were still housed in a car barn. So the streetcars at the end of the day would go to this garage of sorts that was referred to as a car barn. And that terminology was pretty consistent across the northern United States. Now, I mentioned that Battle Creek had a system earlier than Kalamazoo. The system actually started even earlier in Jackson. So it was a type of technology that was moving westward. And Jackson built their horse car system in a 60-day window. And it was created by a man by the name of A.J. White. And then he came to Battle Creek and tried to do the same. And he set up a franchise with four enthusiastic men, V.C. Collier, George Howes, E.C. Nichols, and Clement Wakeley. And they began with horse cars that were ordered from a Philadelphia manufacturer. By June 1883, track was laid, and the Battle Creek Railway System was incorporated. And White was a, the president and general manager, and H.H. H. Brown was the vice president. Charles Thomas was the secretary. And the route of the first line was from the Nichols and Shepherd's shops west along Marshall Street, which is now East Michigan Avenue. The Nichols and Shepherd's shop were in the vicinity of the Post Cereal Factory just before that at that intersection around Union Street. And at that time, the street that way wasn't Michigan Avenue. It was called Marshall Street. But today, it's Michigan Avenue. And the route went west to North Washington Street to the sanitarium. So essentially, it went all the way through downtown Battle Creek and then turned north on North Washington Street up to the sanitarium, which is now the Federal Center. The car barn was sized enough to handle six cars and 24 horses, and it was on the north side of Marshall Street in proximity of Beach Street. And there were six drivers employed by the streetcar system, and the drivers, the human drivers, were considered to be more durable than the horses. So the horses only worked 16 miles, and each car and driver worked 64 miles per day. Now that first summer in 1883, there was a Grand Army of the Republic encampment. Now these were the Civil War veterans, and this was a very big Civil War veteran organization. This was the largest one. And they had an encampment at the fairgrounds, which was near Manchester Street in the vicinity of the Federal Center, which would have been across the street from the Federal Center, two towers out there. Now, although the horse and car line did not quite run all the way to the fairgrounds, it carried 26,000 passengers that week. And at a nickel a ride, the company was financially on its feet almost immediately. Their biggest problem came in the wintertime, keeping the tracks clear so that the cars could run on schedule. But the line was a very huge success because who wouldn't pay five cents to avoid walking several blocks in the chilly wind? Each of these streetcars in this horse-drawn era had wooden stoves inside of it. The second track line was laid from Main Street and Jefferson, which is now Capitol Avenue and Michigan Avenues. And it ran all the way down to Gogwak Lake in 1888. And although the cars were run only during the summer out there, there were days that the cars were so full with people that men would get off and walk so that the load wasn't so heavy on the horses. 
But this horse-drawn line only lasted until 1891. That's when the Battle Creek Electric Railway Company, largely Chicago-owned, took over the old line on June 1st, 1891, and it rebuilt it to accommodate heavier cars. From there, they extended the tracks even farther out, and there was even a new track that was taken all the way out to Gull Lake. There was a 1906 ad in the newspaper that stated that the Gull Lake trip now took only 44 minutes from downtown Battle Creek. And that was the beginning of the era of the interurban between cities because the next logical transition was to connect different towns so you could take a railway car between, say, Marshall and Battle Creek, for example, and Battle Creek all the way to Kalamazoo and, and so forth. And the interurban line was born, and it was a larger car, and it was on a separate set of tracks, usually a little bit wider track base. And it ran on a third rail as for its electricity, so it didn't have the overhead power line like the streetcars did in town. And that was really the difference between the interurban besides the size of the cars themselves. And it was how they were driven with the power. And so the tracks were laid across southwest Michigan and all over Michigan in different communities connecting cities. And you could at one point take an interurban all the way from Kalamazoo all the way to Flint, Michigan. You could take it all the way to Detroit. And it was a substitute form of transportation from taking an actual railway. And there were different connecting stops in different communities and so forth. So Kalamazoo had a street drawn horse car system very much like Battle Creek until 1893 when a Port Huron representative of the General Electric Company, his name was Wilbur Davison, he purchased the Kalamazoo City and County Street Railway Company for $32,000, which was roughly about $1.1 million in today's dollars. And he replaced the slow horse-drawn streetcars and changed it over to a more modern, electric-power-driven cars. And this became the Citizens Street Railway Company. And so they not only used the existing tracks of the horse car system, but they hired 500 workers to lay 12 miles of new track, adding more than four miles to the existing horse car lines. And the four routes that were originally mapped in this system was route number one, which went from Riverside Cemetery to the Michigan Asylum via Seminary Street, East Avenue, Main Street, West Street, Vine Street, Austin Street, and Asylum Avenue. Asylum Avenue was later changed in name and is presently known today as Oakland Drive. So the second route was from Mountain Home Cemetery to the fairgrounds and it went via Main, Portage, and Washington Streets. Route number three was from Pitcher Street to Reed Street via Patterson, Burdock, Main, Rose, and Burr Oak Streets. And Route number 4 went from Douglas Avenue at the city limits to Main Street via North and Burdick Streets. Now, the Route 1 was changed almost immediately from when it was originally planned because it became evident that the electric cars could not negotiate the steep grade of the Austin Street Hill. So a more roundabout route was instead chosen that would follow Asylum Road, as I mentioned, is today's Oakland Drive, southward from 
Michigan Avenue and then up the hill past the Pear Orchard and the Western Normal School, which became Western Michigan University, as it would later be named. And it stopped at a terminal in front of the Kalamazoo Asylum. And later on, to boost evening and weekend trade, this line was extended southward to a new terminal at Woods Lake, where Lakeview Park was established. And for a Nichols fare each way, the car company could then provide a fun and refreshing ride through the countryside to a place where concerts and picnicking and other outdoor activities took place. And that was very much the same in Battle Creek when they extended their lines to Gull Lake and Gogwak Lake. These were the places that people went to for entertainment, for picnicking, concerts, and outdoor activities during the summertime. Those were high-traffic destinations for people in these communities. And when this company was founded, 13 new motor cars, 16 feet long, with seating for 22 passengers, but they often carried many more than 22 people, and they arrived from St. Louis around mid-May. And they also had a dozen or so open-sided trailers that these cars would often pull for additional seating. And the bright yellow and red electric cars ran for the first time in Kalamazoo on June 18, 1893. And the extension to Woods Lake opened a week later. On July 3rd, the Citizens Street Railway Company hosted a massive ox roast at Recreation Park, the old National Driving Park and Fairgrounds on Portage Street, to celebrate. A crowd of 25,000 people attended the event. That just gives you an idea how popular the electric streetcar transportation was to people. And you have to really realize that the main form of getting around during that time prior to this was to walk. People walked everywhere. Unless you had the advantage of having a horse-drawn buggy or had a horse that you rode, most of the time people got around town and through communities by planning a long walk. And people were in a lot better shape back then as a result. In fact, if you do a lot of research into it, you'll find that a lot of the health concerns that we have today started around the time of the introduction of the automobile, probably because people aren't as healthy because they're not walking as far every day. At least that's the general idea presented when you look at that data. Now here's some interesting facts. In 1888, less than 100 miles of electric road existed in the United States. A decade later, that number topped 20,000 miles. So that just shows you the popular growth of these electric cars between 1888 till about 1900. But an interesting side note, while the miles of electric road in the United States would effectively double between 1895 and 1902, the number of electric traction companies declined by nearly 20% during that time. Regional conglomerates bought out cash-starved local lines only to themselves succumb to the bankrolls of still larger syndicates. So a lot of the smaller rail line companies that were formed in these towns would get merged with other ones, and then those would get merged with other ones. So the number of independently owned electric traction companies started becoming fewer and fewer, even though the amount of lines and miles of track did not decline. 
So there's a fascinating article that I've been referencing from the Kalamazoo Public Library, and I'll put the link to this article in the description because there's some great images in here that show you the lower portion of Michigan from about the Bay City line southward. And that was this huge network of tracks of interurbans in this portion of the state. There's no depiction of anything north of that. And that's basically right about the crook of the thumb southward. And this map was from 1900 and it shows the street railway lines across Michigan. And this was published in a edition of Street Railway Review. And from Battle Creek, there was a line that was in operation between Gull Lake, but it also changed directions in Augusta and it went on to Kalamazoo. There were also lines that ran to Marshall, and there were other lines that were in the works at various parts of the state. There was a line that had been started to be made going all the way to Coldwater, but I don't believe that was ever completely constructed. There were other interurban lines planned between Quincy and Jonesville and Paw Paw and Kalamazoo and Dewajak, Kasopolis, Decatur, all the way up to Paw Paw and then on to Kalamazoo. There were active lines that ran from Grand Rapids to Holland all the way to Sagatuck. And there were northwesterly lines that ran from Grand Rapids to Coopersville to Fruitport all the way out to Muskegon. And they also had another line that ran southward off of those tracks down to Grand Haven. From Lansing, there were lines that ran up to St. John's and all the way as north as St. Louis. And there was a lot of other bisecting lines that you see on this map um, across the state. From Jackson, there were several that went out eastward towards Ann Arbor to Detroit. They also went south to Adrian through Blissfield and on to Toledo. So you could effectively take an interurban from South Haven to Toledo. Now, based on this map, not all of the lines may have been effectively created. Some of these lines did get made and were in operation, and some never did get completed because they ran out of money and the decline of the interurban system began to be phased out by the popularity of the automobile. Now the streetcars in the city were not very fast. They typically ran about 20 miles an hour, maybe on the tops they went up to maybe 30 miles per hour. But the interurban lines were much faster. They went as fast as 90 miles per hour. And I have found some videos of some of these interurban lines that were filmed and these things were just cooking. I mean, they were really going fast. And so there were Consequently, a lot of accidents that happened, especially when the interurban lines were traveling between cities out in the rural countries because people would be crossing over these at uh, different roadways with horses and buggies and not hear the train coming or there wasn't a good line of sight for the driver of the interurban to see over a hill and he'd come upon somebody shortly and hit a wagon or buggy and there's several accidents recorded with streetcars as well as interurban lines all over the state if you look up newspaper articles during that period and i have covered a few stories about this in some of my cemetery videos that i have on my youtube channel there's one story that i covered from reese cemetery about a couple that was killed in battle creek by an interurban car heading out towards augusta and it, they were at a crossing, and their horse got spooked by the sound of the car coming and actually raced in front of the inner urban. The horses survived, but the humans were killed. 
and they were both buried at Reese Cemetery. So if you want to hear about that story, you can look at my Reese Cemetery video that's on my YouTube channel. Now, the route between Kalamazoo and Paw Paw did open in 1906 and went on to South Haven in 1907. But what's interesting about those routes is they were never electrified. They were run by steam-driven interurban cars. And so they were one of the outliers in the electric streetcar system of interurbans and streetcars uh, because they never got around to putting in the system to put in the electric third rail. So they ran steam cars on those interurban lines, which is kind of fascinating. Now, there were some other interesting companies that were formed because of the existence of this streetcar and interurban system that was put in place. In 1902, Kalamazoo inventor Fred Root patented a pair of devices that proved to be of great value to the growing street railway industry. The Root Spring Scraper Company found a niche with track scrapers and plow attachments for removing snow and ice from street and interurban railway tracks and overhead power lines. Because remember, the streetcars had these overhead power lines. And in 1904, Michigan United Railways installed root scrapers on its entire system. By 1915, nearly 20,000 of Root's devices were in use on streetcars nationwide. And there's another interesting story about the streetcars that had those overhead power lines. They'd have this pole coming up that ran on this wheel that ran along the line. That's how it drew power. And young boys playing pranks would run behind the trolley car and hit it with a stick. And it was called tripping the trolley. And as soon as that wheel became dislodged from the power line, the whole car stopped. And it was just kind of a prank that kids played. And so they had a man that would ride in the back whose job was to run another pole up there and reconnect the line because it did come loose from time to time from some anomaly or a bounce or, or you know, a bad turn around a corner or something. So they always had to have a second man on the streetcars that would reconnect the line. Uh, but kids would deliberately follow behind, usually boys, and they would uh, play that prank of tripping the trolley. And a company that formed in 1911 was called the Michigan United Traction Company. And it was formed by some men out of Jackson. And they came with some rather deep pocket investors from Philadelphia and New York to form the Michigan United Traction Company. And they purchased not only the railway system in Kalamazoo, but several other cities and connected a lot of southern lower Michigan with their holdings in MUR, Michigan United Railways. And they bought up streetcar lines in St. John's, Lansing, Jackson, Battle Creek, and Kalamazoo, along with many of the other connecting interurban lines, forming under a single umbrella all of these network lines. And the company originally planned to spend close to a million dollars system-wide during that first year of operation in 1911 to integrate all of these lines. And they went through further consolidation as the Michigan Railway Company in 1914. And this reorganization resulted in a track system that was 546 miles long. And it ran everywhere from Bay City to Holland and South Haven, Flint, Jackson, Lansing, Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, and Grand Rapids. And one of their early projects was to 
complete a newly constructed interurban line that ran a connection between Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo, which eventually opened in 1915. And it was a 50-mile stretch between two cities. And what's interesting about this line, it was the first 2,400-volt direct current third rail line ever built in Michigan. And it was designed for unheard-of speeds of up to 90 miles per hour at that time. When World War I happened, the interurban lines were used to transport troops all the way along this network of lines. And it was a big change following World War I after the completion of that war after 1918 that the interurban and streetcar lines started to go into decline. And part of that was the rise of the automotive industry, which really began in 1912. During 1912, the yearly automobile production in the United States was just over 187,000. But after the First World War, however, demand for automobiles began to increase dramatically. And by 1922, annual auto production had topped 1.8 million. And so all but two of the country's 15 most popular car brands were based in Detroit. And so this improved technology and better road construction techniques. By 1923, it became a tipping point year where the annual automobile production in the U.S. topped 3 million units being manufactured. And by the end of that decade, there were 26 million autos registered in the United States. So this is where you see the decline seriously happening with the interurban system, the decline in use by passengers, and the growing problem with interurbans crashing into automobiles, and all these other issues that were coming along. And the expansion of the roads in Michigan, from dirt roads to paved roads, where the automobile was gaining more traction as the main form of transportation because it offered a lot more independence and mobility for the individual families. And believe it or not, the automobile was cheaper during that time for cost for transportation than the interurban railway system was. And so during the Great Depression in June of 1932, the President of the local streetcar company in Kalamazoo stated that the electric streetcar service in Kalamazoo could no longer be maintained, and the streetcars were pulled from service on November 6, 1932. And the Kalamazoo Motor Coach Company was given a permit to begin bus services. So buses began operating in the Kalamazoo area with various lines from 1936 until 1967, when the city of Kalamazoo took control of the local bus system at that point. And a similar phasing out happened all across Michigan right around that time during the Great Depression. So interurbans were replaced by gas-driven bus lines, and tracks were pulled up and removed. Now, if you go out into some of the rural areas, and I've driven around a lot of southwest Michigan, I have seen tracks that are overgrown, that are appear to be just in abandoned, and I always wondered what those were, and those are remains of old interurban track lines that were never pulled up because there was no need to, and you might come across them in your own travels around Michigan, particularly lower Michigan. And um, that's where a lot of those tracks were. So if you've ever come across one of those, maybe you've been out in the woods or just seen them in your old neighborhoods in the rural communities and wondered what they were, likely they were old remains of interurban tracks. 
And like I said, there is a very interesting map on this Kalamazoo Library article. And I will put the link to that in the show note description so you can check it out and compare it to where you live and maybe you'll be able to find some old tracks. And there is a museum in Galesburg that is dedicated to the old interurbans and he even has one of the interurban cars out there and he's got a lot of pictorial history. We've had him speaking at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum and he was talking about having followed some of the old interurban track lines where they used to go and he's walked a lot of those that go out way out into the country very fascinating information but that's going to conclude today's journey through history i just thought i would touch on this subject this is by no means a complete history there is a facebook group that is dedicated to the interurban and streetcars and there's a lot of information certainly a lot more knowledgeable people are members of that group so if you're fascinated about this topic and want to learn more i would suggest you check them out and start following their posts in that group because there's certainly a lot of uh, pictures that they share and videos and all kinds of uh, fascinating articles and stories about the history of the interurban and there's a lot of folks that really would love to see it brought back Looking back with hindsight, there's somewhat of a wish that it never went away. But if you enjoyed today's look at this historic transportation system, please be sure to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. I know a lot of you folks have been doing that for me, and I greatly appreciate it. I sat down and looked at some of those uh, great reviews you've been leaving me on Apple, and I greatly appreciate it. And at some point, I'll probably do like a... Uh, a mailbox section and read some of those at one of the end of one of these episodes so that you guys can uh, hear what other people are saying about the podcast but i i really do appreciate it when you guys take time to do that it means a lot and it helps me pick up more listeners when you do so and of course if you'd like to reach out to me you can find me at michaeldelaware.com i'm always happy to hear from my listeners And I have some other exciting news that's coming up. I'll probably be making some more announcements. Uh, Looks like I will be teaching some classes at Kalamazoo Community College as part of their lifetime learning program sometime between March and May of next year. So I'll let you know when those dates are coming up if you want to attend any of those classes. They've recently reached out to me this past week, and I'm still working out the details with them. And I spoke with my publisher a few days ago. Looks like things are moving forward now to the final editing stages, and uh, they are targeting to have the book released sometime in March of next year. So it's narrowing down to a little bit more specific date and time, and I'll have more information as that gets closer. And that, of course, is my book on true crime stories from Southwest Michigan. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and travel back in time to find even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening today. 